0: Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kelman.
1: And I'm Eve Simmons.
0: And we are health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to.
1: This week we're asking, has the time finally come for another lockdown?
0: As ever, we would like to know what you think. So please do email us on health at or tweet us using the hashtag MedicalMineField. Eve, no more lockdowns, please. <laughs>
1: as long as it's over by my upcoming wedding, which I may have mentioned one or two times, I don't mind. I, I'm not a massive fan of Christmas, but I do understand that a lot of people... This is a very important time of the year.
0: Boris has said that we are not going to have any restrictions before Christmas, but Wales has just said Boxing Day, they're going into another, essentially another lockdown. Are we going to, in England, head for the same thing? Everyone is on the edge of their seat. Some people have already voluntarily put themselves into sort of lockdowns. I, I, I read that Andrew Lloyd Webber is, is closing his uh, in Cinderella.
1: Cinderella is no more until February. And I
0: mean, he was one of the big advocates. He was one of the people pushing for reopening really early on last last year, this year. It feels like we've been in this perpetual cycle. And I think that's the other thing that everyone's saying. When will this all end?
1: That's the million dollar question, isn't it? Well, I think what's being predicted is that while there might not be a total lockdown come Boxing Day or in the new year, what we might be looking at as something similar to the step two restrictions, which meant shops were open. But restaurants, it was all outside. Hospitality, all of hospitality had to go outside. And there was these, was these limits. Obviously, the, there was the rule of six, which I'm sure everyone remembers. These limits on social mix. Which is said to be key.
0: I'm sure that gyms are going to close, which is the thing that's going to annoy me the most.
1: Oh, that's your biggest trigger point. Oh
0: yes, um, but uh, you know, for all the people employed in these industries, uh, you know, where you can't do stuff outside like gyms or you know hospitality venues that don't have outdoor spaces, they're going to be facing a lot of time at home again. And, and I mean, they're perfectly healthy people that are able to work and aren't going to be able to contribute, are going to have to rely on handouts. Psychologically, it's hugely damaging. And you just think, where does it all end?
1: You sort of feel like we've spent the last three months hearing about this knock-on effect of the lockdowns and all of the terrible things that have faced the country that we're still reeling from after those two lockdowns. And just as we're starting to come out the other side, now we're going to get hit by it again.
0: Many experts say that we should be going further now in order to avoid... A bigger lockdown later on. If we restrict ourselves more now, we won't make the same mistake that we did, say, this time last year and be facing this huge wave of potential illness. Others say that, in fact, we need to start to be more resilient in other ways to the virus if we are going to continue as a society. And, you know, I think we should just hand over to them. First on the line, we have. Uh, Robert Dingwall, who is Professor of Sociology at Nottingham Trent University. Uh, Robert, thanks very much for finding time to talk to us. We're talking today about whether or not we need to introduce further restrictions right now, or you know whether it's OK to delay them, as the Prime Minister has indicated we will. Something that you'd talked about was, for now, that we should be looking at keeping people working as much as possible, keeping people engaged in economic activity as much as possible, rather than confining people to their homes when they're not sick. So do we need another lockdown now or not? What's your opinion?
2: Well, the evidence is very uncertain at the moment, but I think the damage from lockdowns is is so significant that we should be cautious about embarking on them, just in case. I think that the cabinet meeting on Monday and the Prime Minister's subsequent assurances about no further lockdowns, no further restrictions before Christmas. I I think there are a really helpful indication that the cabinet is now fulfilling its proper function of taking a, a broader look at the impact of COVID management on social and economic life alongside the range of projections modelling offers. It's not just a case of of looking at the worst case, it's looking at what is reasonably likely to happen. And that could be anywhere within quite a large range.
0: Something that the modellers have now said is that they try and point out very clearly that what they are doing is talking purely about the impact of the variant and nothing else. And I suppose that's what you're alluding to, that the policymakers are now trying to take a broader view and look at the wider impact, the damage that lockdowns do, and perhaps have realised that the damage of closing things down, keeping people at home might be greater. You, I mean, do you think that that, that might be the case, that, that in fact, another lockdown would do more harm than good?
2: Well, I think it's possible. I I think we're still a little uncertain about the the signals that we're getting about Omicron, I mean, they do seem to be reasonably optimistic. It does appear that for whatever reason, this, whether it's a, to do with the virus or to do with the level of herd immunity in the population, its impact is not as severe. It doesn't seem that the rate of infection or the rate of hospitalization are, are, are taking off in the way that. People were suggesting a week ago that they were likely to, and in that circumstance, I think it's quite reasonable to you know, to wait a few more days and, and get a better picture before embarking on, on drastic actions.
1: Professor Dingwall, some have said that, in fact, if we don't do anything now and we wait uh, for the figures to increase and increase and increase, then we're going to have to lock down for longer. The repercussions are going to be much more dramatic than if we take action now. For instance, you know, yesterday there were 90,000 new cases of COVID in the UK. And then today there's 106,000. And although, yes, these cases might not be doubling every day, as, as was predicted, they're still Jumping hugely, and we've got these very, very large numbers that are only going to get larger.
2: Well, I think we need to recognize that these very large numbers are in part an artifact of us doing a lot more testing and being pressured to do a lot more testing ahead of Christmas. The numbers that are reported on the dashboard are positive tests, and what we've long been concerned about is what is the relationship between the number of tests and the number of infections that are actually out there in the community. And if we're doing a lot more tests, we may just be testing a higher proportion of of the cases rather than seeing an increase in the actual number of infections on the same scale.
0: Do we not know from the Office of National Statistics study how many people out there really have it rather than the number of tests?
2: Well, there's, there's a lag in the Office of National Statistics data. So what is immediately available is the positive tests. The ONS data takes a little bit longer to come out. Again, I think it's reasonable to wait until we see that, particularly as we have these other indications from South African data, from Danish data, that Omicron may not be the sort of threat that, for example, Alpha or Delta were.
0: Could you speak a bit about what you think the damage that could be done psychologically by another lockdown to people? Do you think it could really harm people's well-being mentally?
2: Well, I think what, we've, what we had been seeing up to a couple of weeks ago was, if you like, a soft landing from the opening up of July the 20th, a rebuilding of confidence in the population. People were getting much more used to going about their everyday business, going to work, commuting, engaging in social and leisure activities. and all of that's had a pretty dramatic knockback, especially in the, in the Celtic nations. And I don't think people couldn't be blamed for feeling a bit demoralized and a bit despairing and asking, when is this ever going to end?
0: I, I know how they feel. I know how they feel.
2: Well, in, indeed, I think we all do. But it, you know, again, we come back to this issue of you know, what's the proportionality of the response? The danger is that people really do just stop complying.
1: Can I just ask you, Professor Ding? Will you say that, but what's really fascinated me is that without any restrictions officially, apart from Plan B, obviously, it seems that people really have changed their behaviour and a lot of the scientists are saying they've been quite surprised by this, I think they've called it lockdown by proxy or lockdown by stealth, in that there's actually been no official rules, but yet people really are changing the way that they're going about their business. Is that enough
2: to avoid lockdown well it may be but i think we also have to think about the durability of the response there are anecdotal reports for example of, of pub landlords who are saying they're getting a lot of cancellations before christmas and a boom in bookings for new year's eve once that is through we may see quite a shift in behavior in at least some groups of the population, especially if it becomes widely recognized that Omicron is a mild infection that troubles people for a day or two and then they, they get over. You know, there's this sort of discrepancy between the sort of fear messages that tend to come out from some sections of the science policy community, some medics, some politicians, and the actual experience of people about who do I know who has had this and what was it like for them?
0: Something that I know you've mentioned is that during the flu pandemics of 1957 and also 1968, that people just sort of got on with it and accepted that there was high rates of sickness absence and such like. Can you tell me a bit more about that?
2: I mean, I'm just about old enough to remember both of them. And and certainly in 1957, I I was seven years old, I can recall, you know, teachers being absent from school and I remember the sort of headlines about trains being cancelled and postal services being disrupted and, and things like that. 68, 69, I, I think it more or less passed unnoticed. Yes, there were reports in the papers about people being off off sick and occasional mentions of there's a bit of a problem in this hospital or that hospital, but people got through it. Although, of course, at that time, we had something like two, two and a half times as many hospital beds as we have today. The whole idea of lockdowns was never really on the policy agenda. So
0: where is this uh, desire to do these drastic things come from? Is it because it's politically popular?
2: Well, people expect governments to do something. There is something of an illusion of the degree to which governments can control these things, That I think is relatively new, there's clearly a belief in some sections of the public health community that somehow or other medicine can conquer all infections, you know, to control things so that we all live healthy lives and and hopefully become immortal. You know, health is desirable, but it's only one of the good things that society is expected to deliver. And even then, the randomness of evolution, the unpredictability of crossovers of viruses, of the emergence of new variants, of even of existing viruses, all of these things are out there and they're just utterly beyond the control of any government or any, any profession. And I think we've sort of insulated ourselves from an awareness of that through the great triumphs that medicine ha- and, and public health measures have delivered.
0: Well, Robert, thanks very much for finding time to talk to us. I think it was about a year ago this week that we were speaking about the very same subject and I sincerely hope next Christmas we have something brand new to talk about. But in the meantime, I hope you have a very happy Christmas
1: that professor dingle said has really struck a chord with me and i keep hearing this from scientists this focus on the lack of capacity we have within the nhs that actually if you look at it that's the root of the problem if we were to have more nhs staff we didn't have this crisis which predated COVID, of a significant lack of people working in the nhs and a lack of beds then perhaps this problem wouldn't be so great
0: when you say beds it's it's the the staff to look after the person in the bed that's the that's the problem that's what we don't have
1: it's the staff and it's also the physical space it's the physical space so obviously if you have infection control you have to create more space
0: and as we go on there seems to be you know i mean we keep writing about this This is what i was saying last week midwives are leaving in their droves, district nurses are leaving in their droves, you know, people are just thinking, actually, God, I just can't face working in the health service anymore. Yeah,
1: I get paid nothing. And it's not exactly um, the most thrilling or fulfilling job
0: anymore. It seems like a problem that, that you cannot fix because you can't magic up healthcare staff from nowhere.
1: Well, there's certainly no quick fix, that's for sure.
0: Well next I think we should hear from a scientist who is, is arguing for tougher restrictions now but interestingly has, has also been talking about the fact that we do need to start to think about other ways around this problem or we're just going to keep repeating it.
1: Yes exactly and joining us now is Christina Pagel, Professor of Operational Research at University College London. Professor Pagel thank you so much for finding some time to talk to us today. Do you think that we need strict restrictions right now?
3: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately I do. You know, we today we recorded over 100,000 cases for the first time and we can see that in London where it has been the epicentre hospitalizations are now going up really fast. And unfortunately there's just too much risk that the NHS is going to really struggle. And we've seen that from SAGE, that they estimate that even in the best case scenario, the NHS might reach you know, the first peak and maybe higher than last January peak. And that's just, it's just too much to ask NHS people to do all over again.
1: So do you think that a full lockdown would be really the best thing to do right now?
3: Well, I think what SAGE suggested and what independent SAGE suggested independently of that happened is the return to step two of the roadmap, which isn't a complete lockdown. It's, you know, shops are open, schools are open, um, universities are open, but it's outdoor, it's outdoor socializing, it's outdoor hospitality, big events aren't happening. You know, there's limits on how much you can mix inside with people who are not in your household. And I think we just have to get on top of Omicron. Now, if it turns out, and I know there's data coming out this week and there will be over next week, that Omicron is a lot milder or that it's peaked, then we can stop straight away. You know, I think, you know, the, the PM talks about monitoring the data hour by hour. I think we should do that. I just think we should be cautious now and then relax if it turns out we don't have to worry.
0: Professor Pagel, there are those that say that policymakers must now balance the wider picture and that although in order to control Omicron, you may need to return to step two, returning to step two might have, now we know, ramifications that could cause harms and that in fact, that's why we need to be more cautious in introducing tougher restrictions now. Do you agree with that at all?
3: I mean, policymakers have always had to balance those things. And I think what we have learned is that allowing extremely high levels of infection it has consequences. And it's not just about, you know, the, the individual. It is about the fact that if the NHS gets swamped in January, that affects every single person who needs the NHS for whatever reason. Right. If I have a car accident. I don't want to have to be waiting 12 hours in an ambulance. You know, it reduces capacity. You know, we already know that there are massive backlogs, 6 million people waiting. We know that there have been delays in things like cancer diagnosis. That stuff gets worse if you have a really high burden of COVID. We know that many businesses now are struggling because so many staff are off sick. That's the kind of thing that happens when you allow it to go rampant. It doesn't, it doesn't just affect COVID. It affects every bit of the economy. Children had their education disrupted massively last term and they probably will again next term now with Omicron. We also know, you know, that there have been studies that show that, you know, you you can mitigate the impact of lockdown through financial support for businesses, through things like furloughs, through supporting people and kind of building community networks to support people who are living on their own. Like Nobody wants that. I don't want that. And and I'm hoping that with the kind of levels of immunity we have now, with the fact that we know how to control it, that any kind of restrictions will be really, really short-lived. That We're not talking about three months. We're talking about maybe two, three weeks
1: is that enough to make a difference though at the step two level you know with with these really ginormous levels of cases that we're seeing is that is that enough to, to curb it?
3: Well certainly from the SAGE modelling they seem to think so I think from everything that we've learnt over the last year and a half the one thing we know for sure is that outdoor mixing is much much safer than indoor mixing that's what the step two of the roadmap is it's about prioritising outdoors and we also know that prolonged contact when you're talking to someone is the most dangerous thing so that's kind of the indoor socialising going into a shop and buying your groceries is not particularly risky. Those kinds of activities aren't that risky, so we should allow them. You know, going to school is really important. Obviously, we shouldn't close school. So you know, that's the kind of thing we need to be thinking about.
0: Professor Pagel, one question that people keep on asking me is, when is this all going to end? And, you know, if we are going to have to react to every new variant with a, a sort of lockdown, it's quite a good question, really. I mean, what, what's, your, what's your answer to that? When does this all end?
3: Well, we don't have to react to every new variant that way. I mean, the reason... That we're in a situation now is because we did nothing to stop it when it was little you know it was only two or three weeks ago and we could have put in measures then to slow its spread and learn more about it and work out where we need to go but we didn't do that such as what well for instance it took them you know 10 days to, into cheap plan b we could have could have then put limits on big events we could have then up mask wearing for instance one thing we're not doing is asking people to wear much higher quality masks which are more effective called ffp2 masks like they are doing in germany and austria for instance so there are things That we can do, that we haven't done, things like investing in ventilation, which doesn't impact anybody's freedoms at all, is is something that we should be doing and could have been doing for the last year. And people say, oh, well, it takes a long time, and it does take time. But if you don't start, you're never going to finish. And given that we're looking at these waves of (laughs) respiratory illness, we should start that right now, and that will put us in a much better position to never do any other kind of restriction. I've been thinking about it because people have been asking me, and and I've been thinking, God, you know, am I going to be here in Christmas 2022? And I desperately do not want to be. But I do think as a world, especially in in high-income countries, we've forgotten what it's like to live with bad infectious diseases. You know, we did in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, you know, there was measles, there was TB, there was even smallpox, all of these things were circulating polio, and we got rid of them with massive public health efforts on vaccination, on clean water, on hygiene, on better housing, all of these things. And for most people now who are my age or younger or older, we don't remember a world where infectious diseases were so prevalent and we had much higher levels of mortality.
0: But back then, back then we didn't do lockdowns. That was the big difference that we accepted as a as a society. We we seem to accept illness and sickness and people being off work and disruption. But the point
3: is, we did not accept it. That's exactly what we didn't do. We we massively invested in housing, we invested in tackling health inequalities, we invested in vaccination campaigns, we invested in clean water and sewerage, fluoride. We invested in things that would protect people. Now, what I'm saying is we can do that again in things like clean air alongside clean water in a way that can actually get diseases down. We've never actually just lived with infectious diseases, we've always tried to get rid of them. And we still do that. We don't live with flu. We've done massive things to try and improve mortality from flu. And we've managed it. It's gone down massively in the last 20 years. There isn't this, we've never actually just been like, fine, we won't do anything about it. We do do something about it. I think we've forgotten that we do things about it. I think that's the problem.
0: So your point is that lockdowns are the result of not introducing other measures that would work.
3: Yeah. I mean, lockdowns are a failure of public health policy. They're not, I mean, they're kind of what you do when you're desperate, when you run out of other options um and you're kind of in a crisis situation where if you don't do something right now then in two weeks your nhs is going to be in trouble that that's kind of what happens to the lockdown they're they're never planned for if you were planning it you wouldn't ever need one and places like japan and south korea have managed for two years with low COVID cases without ever needing one
0: it doesn't seem like there's a huge amount in terms of advice to policymakers Um, saying these kinds of things so you know I mean we know that SAGE tells the government how many infections there will be and how how many hospital beds will be needed what will happen with COVID basically but it feels like perhaps they're not being given the right advice in terms of or taking the right advice.
3: Preventative measures.
1: Preventative
0: yeah. yeah.
3: They have they have I mean there are really detailed and long SAGE documents for instance around ventilation around contact tracing, around things like social inequalities, like housing and poverty and how to improve them. They, they do exist. We just don't hear about them because they're not kind of reported on the dashboard. They're not the daily numbers that everyone's used to getting. They're kind of longer term, more difficult things, but they're the things that will work and will give us back, not just the freedom to kind of go about our daily day, but the freedom to go around our daily day without getting sick or making others sick.
0: Well, I mean, I do hope, I do hope that something uh, begins to change for for everyone's sake. Really, thanks so much for sparing some time to talk to us, and it's been an eye opener.
3: All right, well, have a great Christmas, guys.
0: <laughs>
3: Hi, sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. Offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk.
0: Eve, I know that normally we have this big long chat at the end and I just, I've run out of, I've run out You're of going to say Merry <laughs> Christmas, goodbye. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> I'm going to bake banana bread.
1: Are you going to do a Christmas dance? Oh, God. But only me, because <laughs> the listeners obviously won't be
0: able to see. <laughs> I mean, you know, I can't be the only one that feels slightly despairing all this. And I, people keep on asking me. I, you probably get the same. Mm. They, they, they want to know, you know, they, they keep saying things like, oh, is it just because we're testing more? Or, you know, oh, when, when does it mm. all end? Or, you know, I mean, I don't have the answers. I feel like the scientists that we're speaking to who are normally so forceful have fewer and fewer answers to this as well. So I can't imagine what the government feels.
1: I think there's this big question at the moment right now about the severity of Omicron and as soon as we have that I think it's really going to guide which direction we go in or the government decides that we go in and I I don't know I, I'm probably being very angled in the, the information that I'm consuming but I find myself gravitating towards the more positive messages and reports because I simply can't deal with anything that's so doom-mongering um, and it does seem that there are signs that this may be less severe, we may end up with less hospitalizations than we did in the wave this time last year and in fact it might mean that a lot of people get antibodies in a very kind of risk-free way because it doesn't make them very sick which could boost our levels of immunity even more those are the messages i'm deciding to take i could be wrong
0: excellent well i'm going with you then i will believe that and here's me doing my christmas dance. so <gasps>
1: oh god <laughs> listeners you're missing out it's fantastic
0: well listen thank you so much for listening to us this year and again if you have a question or suggestion for what we should be covering on medical minefield aside from the never-ending nightmare of covid then please do contact us via twitter you can get all the latest health news in this weekend's mail on sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all of our podcasts opinion pieces articles everything all in one place it's fantastic really you should do it treat yourself
1: (laughs) 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 we'll be back with another topic on medical minefield next year see you then goodbye